I want you to open your Bibles to the passage that Pat just read for us from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at this particular passage in just a moment, beginning at the first verse, as we're going to spend some time talking about an unusual situation in the Apostle Paul's life. But before we look at that passage, I want you to think for just a moment and ask yourself if you know the answer to this question, and that is, what is a thorn? What is a thorn? Now, I think all of us know what a thorn is because if you um, have lived very long at all, you have come in contact at least with one thorn out in this world today. But the American Heritage Dictionary uh, defines a thorn as a modified branch in the form of a sharp, woody spine. Now, I never thought about that before, but the official definition of a thorn is just simply a branch that comes off of a plant or off of a tree or off of a vine that instead of branching out like other branches do, this forms a spine that is sharp. And um, all of us, as I said, have come in contact with thorns perhaps. I know I have. Um, we used to do a lot of hiking with our family and as we went along the path, every now and then we'd run into some thorn bushes, as we call them, and they would cut our legs or we'd get one stuck in our leg or our arms or hands or something. When I was a little kid, I would um, uh, go with my parents to go blackberry picking. And if you've ever been blackberry picking, you know you're going to get some thorns. There's just no way around it. Uh, I enjoyed blackberry cobbler that my mother made, but I did not enjoy the fact that oftentimes when I came home, especially if I was wearing shorts, I'd have scratches all over my legs, scratches all over my arms, and have pricks all in my hands from picking those blackberries. It's almost like they decided they didn't want us to get them, and they were going to do everything they can to stop us as a defense mechanism. Uh, of course, this summer we were allowed to go to the beach, and one of the things that I noticed this year that I thought was very unusual was the fact that not one time while we were at the beach this year did I step on those little bitty balls that are full of thorns. Normally, it seems like whenever I walk anywhere down there, um, there was these little berry, berry cuckleberries, whatever you call them, that are full of thorns, and they would, you step on one, you knew you stepped on one. Um, many years ago, we had a, a miniature schnauzer that was uh, kind of given to us, and uh, we would take that dog to the beach, and after we walked that dog at the beach, and we came back, uh, his uh, fur would just be full of these little bitty thorn uh, berries, as we call them. Uh, thorns can be a nuisance. Thorns can be uh, something that um, I see no reason at all anybody would enjoy. It's interesting that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and God was telling Adam and Eve how things were going to change now, uh, there in chapter 3, after God had told Eve about childbearing and different things like that, he moved on to Adam and some of the things that he was going to deal with. In verse 18 of chapter 3, he specifically mentions that one of the things that goes along with what he's going to have to deal with now is thorns. The world was going to change forever because now there's going to be thorns in your life, Adam. So we can see that thorns or something that is a part of this life, is something that is a nuisance, of course. Um, there's a very beautiful flower that smells wonderful. It's pretty to look at. 
but it also has thorns, and you have to overcome those thorns if you're going to enjoy the flower. But I think obviously as we start thinking about thorns, and we especially think about the passage that we're looking at tonight, thorns is also a metaphor for anything that makes life difficult for us. It's used as a metaphor because thorns are something that we don't enjoy. Thorns are something that causes pain. Uh, thorns are something that you come across in your daily activity. Uh, no one goes out and just looks for a thorn and hoping it's going to stick it, but instead, usually when a thorn attacks us, if you will, it's when we least suspect it. And, and so thorns is a very good uh, metaphor for anything in this life that is very difficult for us. Uh, a thorn could be in this life could be described as any kind of problem we have in this life. Uh, it could be a physical problem. Maybe some type of health issue is maybe something that would be considered a thorn in your life. Um, there may be a, a habit that you have that you want to get rid of, and you've tried several times to stop this particular habit. Uh, don't know anybody's situation here, if they've ever had to deal with uh, smoking cigarettes. But I've known people in the past that have tried to do everything possible from hypnosis to patches, to everything they can think of to quit smoking, and they just couldn't kick the habit, and they wanted to so very badly. And that certainly was a thorn in their life. Sometimes people can be a thorn in our lives. Uh, maybe it's a family member that just uh, causes so much problems. Um, I've had neighbors before that have been problems that kind of is a thorn. Um, back when our oldest son, David, was a just a little bitty baby. Uh, we were living in a rented house, and there was a store across the street that went out of business. And after the store went out of business, for some reason, there was a guy that wanted to open up a bar uh, in that particular building. And this was in a neighborhood of houses. And so I went over and told him that, you know, I'm gonna, I just told him, I said, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you don't get a liquor license for this place. And I did. I ended up going to Columbia and having a hearing and everything. But that man became a thorn to me. Uh, he would send people over to my house and knock on my door and give me a hard time. Um, I had drunk people show up at my house at different times of the night. That was a very trying time for me because of that was a thorn in my life. People sometimes can be a thorn. But here in our scripture tonight, we discover that Paul, the apostle, had something that he describes here in the text as a thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh. Now, it's interesting, if you do some research on this, you'll find out all kinds of different things that people think that it is. Now, let me tell you right off top that nobody knows what it is. People can guess, people can give some evidence to that, but there's nowhere in the Bible where it actually tells us what this thorn in the flesh that Paul was dealing with. If you um, read some commentaries, they talk about it being malaria. Uh, they believe that because of Paul's travels and the times he was uh, out in the, um, the outdoors and whatnot, and malaria was very prevalent at this time, that uh, this caused him to be sick a lot. And he had malaria. There are those that believe he dealt with migraines for some reason. There's others that believe he dealt with epilepsy, and that was his thorn in the flesh. Uh, there are some who think that this thorn in the flesh was not an actual physical ailment, 
but instead was some person or maybe a group of people who were constantly giving him a hard time. It may have been the Jews that he was referring to. It may have been Alexander the coppersmith. It may have been a number of people because Paul takes a great bit, uh, spends a great deal of time in this particular book dealing with what people are doing to him and how they perceive him and how that they are false apostles or false teachers. So it may have been a person or a group of people. There are some who think that perhaps this was a certain temptation that Paul had. Uh, we all have certain temptations that we have to deal with, and the Apostle Paul being human, uh, he had perhaps a temptation that he just constantly fought with, that he just constantly had to be on guard with, and this caused him to have an impact on his life. And um, there are even some who refer to the, the, the thorn in the flesh as this being something of a fleshly weakness as far as the temptation that he had. Uh, there are those who believe that he had uh, some type of speech impediment. Um, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how that he did not come to them with all excellence of speech and leaving us with the impression that maybe he wasn't that good of an uh, uh, orator, if you will. Perhaps he was not someone that you would call a very polished speaker. And so he often had, had to overcome that. But the, probably the, the thing that there's the most evidence for, and then once again, we don't know this. This is just simply a guess, and we don't know this is the case. There's some believe that he had some problem with his eyes. He had a chronic eye problem. And the reason for that is, over in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11, uh, he makes the point to the church at Galatia when he's coming to the end of his letter. He says in verse 11 of chapter 6, he says, See with what large letters I write this. And the point is to make them understand and appreciate that though he may have had somebody else write the epistle for him as he dictated, he's letting them know that this is actually from him. And the point being is that they would understand that this was from Paul because he had problems with his eyes and that he had to write in very big letters uh, in order to see them. And they add to that, they think that perhaps... Um, when Paul saw Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and was struck blind, that somehow or another he developed uh, cataracts from that or other eye problems from that. But I don't particularly like that explanation because I believe that when the Lord healed him, when Ananias came to see him, he was healed completely because when God heals someone, he heals them completely. And he would not leave cataracts or, or, my, uh, or other things that affected the eye from that particular instance. Old age might have caught up with Paul or whatnot, but... but um, once again, the point is, we just simply don't know what was going on here in the Apostle Paul's life. But we do know that this was something that, that bothered him, something that he had talked to God about, something that, that was just hard for him to deal with. He refers to it as the thorn in the flesh. But now let's look at the text, and I want to make some comments about this particular text for our lesson this evening. And and first of all, I want to kind of set the context of why this is here. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there in this section of Scripture, he's dealing with some people who were saying he's not a real apostle. He's dealing with some people that were saying that he wasn't really a preacher of Jesus Christ. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, almost the entire chapter, is dealt with Paul defending his ministry. And he wants to make sure the church at Corinth knows that he is who he says he is. He is genuine. 
And as he's defending himself and his ministry, uh, he begins chapter 11 dealing with these false apostles, these men who tried to tear him down, these men who tried to say that he wasn't who he was supposed to be, that he was a false apostle, but in reality, they were false apostles. And then at the end of chapter 11, we have a very interesting uh, situation where Paul begins to boast, if you will, about how he has suffered for the Lord. And you remember how in that particular section of Scripture he talks about how that he had been in peril, how he had been in danger of countrymen, how he had been beaten, how he had been naked, how he had been uh, hungry, how he had been shipwrecked. And he's telling them all this to say, in a sense, listen, guys, why in the world would I ever go through all this junk, if you will? Why would I suffer all these different things if I was not genuine? If I was not really an apostle of Jesus Christ, if I was really not interested in doing the Lord's work. And as chapter 11 comes to an end, we come to uh, chapter 12. And he's, he's moving from what he just said about all this suffering that he had had, and he brings up something specific that he has to deal with as he is a minister for Jesus Christ. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, it says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. And I'm reading from the NIV. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So now he's changing something. He says, I talked about the suffering that I had. And I can put that to let you know that I'm letting you know that this is something that you need to know about. I'm boasting about it because you need to know about it. And here's something else I want to talk to you about. Something else, another area that I can boast. It won't do any good to boast about it because it really doesn't mean anything. This is not for my benefit. This is for your benefit. But he says, I want you to know that I really am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I really am a bona fide minister for the cause of Jesus Christ because of the visions and the revelations that I've had from God. Now, he could have talked about how a man from Macedonia appeared to him in a dream and said, come here. He could have talked about how he saw the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. But for some reason, on this particular occasion, he talked about something that nobody else had known about Paul, something that nowhere else is described anywhere else in the New Testament, but something he thought evidently through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and his own knowledge would kind of set the settle this particular idea of whether or not he was a bona fide apostle or not. And the thing that he brings up, as we're going to discover here in just a moment, is that he is the only person that we know of in history and in the scripture that was allowed to go up into heaven and experience what heaven is like and then come back here to earth. And hopefully... This monsoon we have won't be too distracting as it hits the roof here. But notice what he says now beginning in verse 2. He says, I know a man. And it's obvious the man he is describing is himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Now the way that people in that society, especially the Jews, looked at the world, they looked at... Um, the skies, and they thought of three heavens. 
The first heaven is where the birds flew. The second heaven was where the stars and the moon are. And the third heaven is, of course, where God Almighty is. So what Paul is saying is that 14 years ago, he was called up into the place where God is, the heavenly realm, if you will. And he says, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. Paradise, of course, is um, a word that became into the vocabulary of Paul and others that lived in that time. It was a Persian word that meant beautiful garden. But it also became the word to, as we learn from uh, the book of Luke, that uh, it was the place where Abraham's bosom is. It's the place where uh, Lazarus went. It's the place that the rich man did not go. It's the place that Jesus told the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. So Paul was called up into that place that was called paradise. And he, the text says, he heard inexpressible things, things that man are not permitted to tell. Now, sometimes people read that and say, well, you saw some thing, Paul, but you can't tell anybody about it. That's not what's happening here. What he's saying is there's things there that were so amazing and so wonderful and so beautiful that words can't describe what he's about, that he was able to see. The human vocabulary can't describe that. And I think we can all relate to that. Um, I don't know if you noticed in the newsletter uh, this morning or not, but beginning in September, on the Wednesday night class, we're going to start studying the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation makes descriptions of heaven, and it uses things that we know aren't literal descriptions of heaven, such as streets of gold and crystal seas and that type of thing. But the reason why it's written that way is because there are no words to fully express what heaven is really like. We have to use the terms and whatnot that we can identify with, but they don't fully describe heaven. I've got some competition tonight because I feel like I'm hollering at you. <clears throat> but anyway, but one other little side note about when Paul was called up into this third heaven. Uh, I didn't do this research. There's been others who have done this research that if you think back to 14 years ago from the time that Paul wrote this particular epistle and what was going on in his life, they believe there are some that believe, and they may be right. I don't know if they are or not. It is kind of interesting to think about, but they believe that this particular event took place in Paul's life uh, when he was in the city of Lystra. And if you remember there, he was preaching in the city of Lystra, and the um, people of the city became upset with him, and they took him outside the city, and they stoned him, and they thought they had stoned him so properly that they believed that he was dead. Uh, you read about this over in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. And, of course, we know that after the crowd left and went back into the city, uh, that Paul got up and he went on his way and began to, to continue to preach. But there are some believe that while he was being stoned, and it appeared to everyone that was there that was doing the stoning, that Paul had a lifeless body, that maybe perhaps it was during this time period that the Apostle Paul was called up by God into this Hadean realm, if you will, where paradise is, and there he was there for a moment, 
and then, of course, returned back to his body afterwards when the people left. Um, that may be the reason why Paul says whether he was in the body or out of the body, he couldn't tell. Paul knew the circumstances that he was in. He was being stoned to death. Uh, he evidently, of course, passed out because of the stoning. He became lifeless because everybody thought he was dead. But Paul wasn't sure what was going on, but somehow in his life, at some time, and this may have been the opportunity that this took place, he was called up into this area that is called paradise. But the thing that, the reason why Paul brings this up is just not to tell us about this interesting event that took place in his life. He brought this up to, to prove, of course, to the people that he was indeed a bona fide apostle, that he was indeed someone who got revelations from the Lord. And it may have been that he brought this up to prove to them that that day you thought that I had died, that maybe you had heard about, that perhaps this was what was going on. But then he goes on in verse 5 and he says this. He says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except my weaknesses. He's deferring the attention from him now to something else. And he says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Now, obviously, from that, you can tell he was talking about himself, but that's not his point. His point is, but I refrain so no one would think more of me that is warranted by what I do or say. In fact, he says, to make sure you know that I have no reason to boast, to make sure you know I have no reason to feel conceited, don't you feel like that I'm somehow or another more special than you are as far as a man is concerned? I'm just trying to establish my apostleship. Let me tell you about the man part of me. He goes on and says in verse 7, he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Something was given to the Apostle Paul. Once again, we don't know what it is. He simply describes it as a thorn in the flesh. And he says, this thorn in the flesh is something that keeps me in my proper place. It reminds me each and every day that I am just a man. It reminds me each and every day that I'm no different from anybody else. I have an office that I work in. I have a ministry that I'm involved in. But still, I'm a man like everybody else who has problems just like everybody else. But notice he says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now folks, when I look at that, that is one thing that just stands out. Almost needs to be in bold-faced type, I think, in our Bibles. Because of the fact that when you start thinking about this and you start thinking about who is saying this and you start thinking about who was doing the praying here, that's almost mind-boggling. Here was the Apostle Paul, an apostle that was chosen out of due time, apostle that was given a special ministry, an apostle who had done so much for the cause of Christ perhaps the greatest missionary who had ever lived. And he has a problem in his life, a problem that, that just he, he, he has a hard time dealing with. 
and he prays to God to have it removed. Not only once, not only twice, but three times. And the idea here in the Greek with the word plead is an idea that this wasn't just a prayer. Uh, Dear God, I hope you take this thing away from me. But this was something that was an agonizing prayer. This is something that he prayed earnestly about. But you know what? God said no. God said no. And I think it's very important as we start thinking about thorns in the flesh, whatever that thorn in the flesh that we may have in our own life, and there may have been times in our life that we prayed to God, help me with this, help me with this, help me with this. And God says, no, this is something you're going to have to deal with as long as you live. And we think about the fact that here was an apostle who asked for the same thing, and God still told him no. But he goes on in verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on and says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For I am weak. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, I'm going to wrap this up because I can. I feel like I'm about to lose my voice sh- shouting at you, shouting at you. But just may, let me make one more point. Why in the world did this happen to the Apostle Paul? For example, and for that reason, or the, for that matter. Why does thorns in the flesh happen to anybody? I mean, after all, God loves us. God wants to take care of us. God wants to bless us. Why did God do this to Paul? Why does God put a thorn in anybody's flesh? Well, we need to clear up one big misconception here. Go back and look at verse 7. I want you to notice where the thorn in the flesh came from. It didn't come from God. This is not something that God did. Notice what it says. It says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. It was Satan that was behind this. It may have been a situation that, like Job, where, where maybe Satan asked permission, I don't know, but the torment, the pain, the agony from this thorn was something that was Satan that was reminding him about. It was a messenger from Satan. But regardless of what our thorn may be, and I'm tired of fighting with this, um, we need to be reminded that regardless of what kind of thorn we have in this life, that like the Apostle Paul was told, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. Because of God's grace, our reward in heaven is going to be far more wonderful than any thorn we have to deal with in this life. And I was going to close with a story tonight, but I I think it loses effect in this thunderous rain. So I'm just going to go ahead and close now. And if there is a need someone has tonight as far as responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ or needing to rededicate their life or the need for prayer, we hope that you'll come as together we stand and sing.